This time on Watchers of Tomorrow, the dangers of casual time travel. Oh, there's someone, uh, someone cosplaying as sexy young Spock. Oh no, there's somebody in a bear costume with her. <laughs> we should probably start the actual episode. <laughs> All right. Hello everyone, welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show where we put the humanities back into science fiction. My name's Kep and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Dr. Izix. Hi! And this week is the second episode of Star Trek, the animated series. For some uh, locations, yes. Time travel and stuff, it's fun. Yes. Uh, you know, technically this was the first episode aired in Los Angeles because George Decay was running for office and they were worried about equal time stuff. So, <laughs> oh, that's just interesting and fun. I didn't come yes. across that one. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we got, uh, some time travel. We got the, uh, the Guardian of Forever coming back. And once again, we got time travel stuff causing problems. Yep. It's the Guardian is not very good at guarding forever. So this episode is called Yesteryear. It was written by DC Fontana, so one hopes that it's Yay. better. <laughs> we have some actual guest stars, because I guess they couldn't get James Doan to do all the voices in this one. Just just most of them. <laughs> yeah, most of the voices, not all the voices. <laughs> so Mark Leonard is once again playing Spock's father, Serac. Serac? can never pronounce Sarek. that right. Serac? Yeah. <laughs> He's back again doing the voice of Sarek. He shows up all the time as Sarek. He's a very good Vulcan and a good Romulan. The noble Romulan who dies. Yeah. Then uh, Billy Simpson is playing young Spock. I could find literally nothing about him because he's a young voice actor from the 70s. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Um, he was in a, the Oregon Trail TV series, apparently. Wow. I did not know there was an Oregon Trail TV series. Neither did I. It was 1976. They all died of dysentery <laughs> while fording a river. <laughs> That's why you probably never heard of it. But uh, it does look, kind of look like that was his uh, first uh, uh, role, uh, unless you count something uh, you know where he's playing himself. But you know. And then I just thought this was interesting. Uh, Keith Sutherland, who was the son of one of the directors, apparently they just grabbed a kid because they needed a kid voice. So I thought that was interesting, but also that their credit is playing young Sepik, which made me think maybe Sepik was a character that, like, I didn't remember. Like, this was a reference to maybe, you know, the, the guy that he's supposed to fight for the Ponfar thing or something. But no, Sepik's never showed up before or since. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know why they're he's specifying like young Sepik. <laughs> to uh, make sure you don't get him confused with septic tanks. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's just it's just amusing. I was like, oh, is this a reference I missed? No. No, it's not. It could have been, but it's not. Maybe maybe there'll be a, an, an old sepic that shows up in like lower decks or something like that. <laughs> it's like, back in my day, I used to go around and beat up Spock. <laughs> and we liked it. <laughs> but aren't you a Vulcan? Shouldn't you be like suppressing your emotions? I don't care anymore. I'm too old. <laughs> That'd be amazing. 
Okay, we should jump in, because time travel antics. Mm-hmm. Now, the Enterprise is back at what they're calling the Planet of the Time Vortex, which apparently is where the Guardian of Forever from Gateway City thing, Edge of Forever, is. I really messed up the name of that episode, but I'm sticking with it because it's more <laughs> amusing to me. <laughs> time Vortex also implies that the Doctor travels through here a lot. That's so. true. The untempered schism. <laughs> so they've been actually using the power of the gateway guardian forever doodah hole in the rock uh to explore the history of the federation and other related planets apparently cool Uh, i hope you're not going to like change anything when you're back in time so that's one of the interesting things we'll get to with this because they don't which is weird (laughs) yes somebody else who caused problems <laughs> on the planet a woman and a large big bird a yellow the yellow bird guy yep we're waiting for kirk and spock to return from orion's history at this point we've only we've only seen like orion's twice and we're not sure if they're federation members if they're federation members what's with all the weird dancing women i, I it's a good question <laughs> uh the there there was some reference to uh the you know the, the Ryan culture and things like that in uh, Lower Decks actually uh, stuff now uh, gotten around to finishing that uh, that uh, it sort of implies that they're if they're part of the Federation it was very new for that time period so I'm guessing probably not at this point so okay but I don't know T- continuity has never been something that stretches from continuity started with TNG basically yes. <laughs> it's like we have to keep things like organized and not confusing oh, oh oh i guess we can start doing that all right so once they're back mccoy who was waiting for them asks who the heck that is with kirk and kirk is confused because he should recognize spock yes mccoy this is the guy that you hate the most on the ship even though you're friends it was just so weird so like, who's that it's like you know you know our first officer it's like, no, no afraid i no. don't <laughs> no one's confused why kirk just showed up with a random vulcan who he's calling his first officer Everyone's very unconcerned by this. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're time traveling. Probably, maybe this is like a doppelganger from another parallel reality. Uh, if it comes up, if you see a problem, we'll just phaser him later, you know? So they go back to the ship and they are introduced to Commander Thane, the Nandorian, who is the second officer of the Enterprise. Spock, you've been gone for just a day and you've already been replaced. They're also really unconcerned that Kirk doesn't remember this guy. Yes. Like, who's this? <laughs> it's like, oh, I thought you would know the. F- your first officer who's been here for years yes <laughs> you know don't you remember that time you uh you know you, you did some stuff with the klingons over there and they you know you saved your life and stuff no oh okay <laughs> so apparently whatever changed the timeline here has also given this timeline's kirk short-term memory loss and everyone's fine with it <laughs> yes uh, though uh, technically, uh, you know, uh, Kirk was all doing doing time traveling stuff, whatever, whatever happened, uh, happened. But uh, yeah, so I guess he was like protected, I guess, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he'd be protected, but it's just weird that everyone's un- so unconcerned yeah. that he doesn't remember <laughs> his own first officer. It's like, yeah, this is fine. You know, just more space stuff. We do this all the time. So the scientists on the planet look through their records to figure out what's going on. They can find no record of a Vulcan named Spock who ever served in Starfleet at all. Uh, they do have records on Sarek, the Vulcan ambassador, who has no son or wife, 
but did because his son, Spock, died at the age of seven during a Vulcan something-something ritual. Yes, the, the special uh, ritual of, you know, go and not die and you become a man. Yeah, but he did die and yeah. didn't become a man. Just, yeah. So that worked out, I guess. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so it turns out as uh, Kirk and Spock were exploring Orion, another team went to survey recent Vulcan history from about 30 years ago, and they did record Spock dying during his Kaswan, or manhood mm. test thing. Yes. Spock remembers this, not the dying part, but that when he was a child, <laughs> his distant cousin, who now he's pretty sure was himself, saved him from a wild animal attack. So that means that something has prevented Spock from going back in time because they looked at him in that one spot, and he was already back in time elsewhere, they made the arbitrary decision to go to Orion and changed all of history because he was supposed <laughs> to go back to Vulcan to save his young self. Yes. But he didn't because they thought Orion sounded cooler. <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't go ahead and investigate, you know, learn anything about the Orions of the original series very much other than, you know, they're green and you know, slave women and things like that. Let's go and investigate that. And oh, with all that interesting stuff happened off screen. And yeah. Huh. Well, I guess we have a plot now, so I guess we have to go follow that thread. Yeah, to fix this, now Spock decides he needs to go back to Vulcan's past all by himself to save himself. So Spock arrives to see his young self being very logically bullied by other Vulcan children. Uh, this was mentioned uh, back in Journey to Babel that uh, the other children kind of picked on him and things like that because, you know, you know, human mom and all that. Yeah, which is very logical for some reason. Yes. <laughs> it was also mentioned that Vulcan children do sexy dances. Yeah, it, it's weird. <laughs> also, that they're kind of wearing these kind of like Conan the Barbarian in space sort of outfits. It's kind of weird. Yeah, they're little like Speedo style black shorts with a blue belt that goes around their waist and a blue belt that goes over one shoulder. So it's kind of anime. Yes. <laughs> Spock, I didn't know you come, came came from uh, you know space Japan. Come on, the young Spock gets emotional and embarrasses his father because being upset that you're being bullied is less logical than bullying someone. And I'm not going to get over this. Yes, Spock introduces himself as his cousin Selik on the way to the family shrine. Sarek invites him to stay with them for a few days because apparently the family shrine is really far away. So I guess it's a good thing. I guess they have like normal like weird hospitality rules here like oh weird family member i don't remember and i've never met or heard of stay a while yeah you you look similar enough to me so that works out that's right? great many cultures do this it probably works out well and you know it's also you know vulcan here and you know the 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 way their society works is very different from human society uh you know on so many levels that you know this being sort of kind of a normal thing kind of makes sense you know it's like, yeah, it, it's not logical to go and, you know, say, claim you're not who you are out of, to a stranger's place because, you know, you know, there's many the various reasons here. So, yeah, this, this person's obviously awoken, so I can trust them. The young Spock is hanging out with his pet, Achaya. It's a huge bear thing with fangs. Yes. You know, you know it's kind of, uh, you, know, you know, big, big teeth and he looks kind of old and it's a little slow and chubby, but, you know, it's kind of adorable at the same time. So Sarek calls him away to lecture him on Vulcan discipline and how it's time for his manhood test soon. Now, normally, people fail this test several times, and it's fine. But 
Spock's special, and if he fails, he's going to be shamed forever. So good luck. Sorry, you're kind of a crap dad, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His dad's kind of a dick, so explains some things. Yes. <laughs> Spock has a heart-to-heart with his mother concerning his younger self to let her know that everything's going to be okay, even though his dad's an asshole. Uh, she then says that the Kaswan mm-hmm. is next month, not tomorrow, as Spock thought, which means that his time travel's gotten him a bit confused. So is he early, or is there something else going on? That night, young Spock, who was nervous about the test, decides to go out to the desert alone to test himself before the test. Aha. Oh, so a practice test. You know, I, I've done a few of those before in my time. Achayas follows him, even though he tells him several times not to, because Achayas is a badly trained whatever he is. And Spock sees himself leave and remembers that the time he almost died, which you'd think you'd remember, was not the time he did the manhood test, but his own stupid decision. Like, oh yeah, I did sneak out that one time. Now, I, I do kind of find it a little amusing that uh, young Spock does call a Chaya like, you know, old and fat and things like that. Because, you know, it's like, I'm just going to insult you and try to make you go home. But it's not working because you don't speak, I guess, Vulcan. <laughs> it's also interesting. I guess it makes sense that Spock has blotted out large sections of his childhood because that's what happens when you have abusive parents. Indeed. So he doesn't remember what's going on well enough to save himself. Yeah, there was some crappiness back then. Um, but next, I don't really want to remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in the mountains, Achaya has followed young Spock, and it's a good thing since he's now fighting off a large green cat thing. Spock runs in, neck pinches the battle cat, and saves young Spock from saber-toothed battle cat thingy. Wait a moment. Something's familiar about this battle cat. Yeah, it's got Wait exactly the same colors. It's It's green with orange stripes. Yes. Also, it sounds like Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> Paddle Cat plus Godzilla equals whatever this thing is. Spock talks to young Spock about how hard it is to have human and Vulcan blood and that Vulcans can have emotions, but they use their logic to deal with their emotions. And reach serenity. Yeah, that, that whole you know, turbulence beneath and serenity up top sort of stuff there. Yeah, doesn't... I don't know. This is... Dumb. Vulcan philosophy is dumb, but <laughs> we'll get to that. Also, Achaya is dying. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, Achaya! Uh, young Spock decides he must go to the city and find a healer because it's his responsibility, even though old Spock could do it easy. So, Spock stays and uses his mental powers to help Achaya with the pain while young Spock runs through the desert, fights some sort of snake plant thing. I kind of more just runs through it and it's fine. <laughs> then he finally reaches the healer's home. Uh, there's a very useless bit about the healer not trusting him because Spock one time played a practical joke, which is not a thing on Vulcan, apparently, even though the kids are still dicks. Uh, but they, yes. after very little convincing, the healer goes with him. So, yeah, there you go. So, uh, it, for Vulcan children, it's acceptable to uh, bully each other and be kind of awful, but anything else is forbidden and, you know, a bad sign, mm-hmm. I guess. They reach Achaya, but it's too late. The healer can help him live longer, but it'll be in terrible, terrible agony. And young Spock has oh. to decide what to do. So, uh, young Spock, uh, what you gonna do? Are you gonna be uh, humane here, or are you gonna be, uh, I guess, selfish in a weird way? He decides that he needs to go with the Vulcan way of doing things, and that he needs to euthanize his pet without feeling anything about it little awkward but i guess that's probably the most ethical option 
So the next day, they return to Sarek. Young Spock runs off to show the bullies how Spock taught him to do a neck pinch, and Spock requests that Sarek try to understand his son better, which Sarek is very confused by. <laughs> You're a crap dad, and you need to, like, actually listen to your son sometimes, and, you know, maybe come to some sort of, you know, you know understanding so that you can teach him better than you are right now, and uh, get on that, Sarek, come on. Back at the Guardian, Spock returns to his normal time. Everyone knows who he is again. Uh, Kirk doesn't care that Spock's pet died. And they beam back to the ship where McCoy is racist to Spock about medical stuff. Damn it, McCoy. Even the animated series. Spock tells him he's lucky he's not an Andorian, and it confuses him. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would have been, uh, you know... You know, even more, you know, absurd if, like, you know, McCoy's like, well, I might have preferred that, actually. <laughs> well, he goes, what? You're not an Andor. He says, there's time will tell, Doctor. There's, time like, a very veiled threat in there at the end. It's like, just you wait, Doctor. <laughs> I'll turn into an Andorian one of these days. <laughs> Your time will come. Yes. Um. So, um. Are we going to address the uh, the the big bird in the room? <laughs> that there's new aliens that we've never seen yes. before or since, and they just appear. Oh, they, they actually they actually do show up later in the animated series. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, at least once. I think I'm seeing pictures. Yeah, but uh, yeah, this is. Uh, I think the character's name was like Alik Om or something like that. Mm. One of the historians. Yeah, uh, and they're like. A big bird person. We seem to be um, fighting a dragon in one of these pictures. So, dragon, <laughs> dragon fighting a big bird. <laughs> that will happen later. I like it. I mean, it, as it's a very bird bird. Like mm-hmm. the more you watch animation, if you know anything about birds, the more you notice that they keep giving them teeth and beaks that move like lips, which is very off-putting. Yeah, but this is like beak here. Yeah, Just this beak. is an actual beak. It's proportioned right for the size of the bird. Works out pretty well, honestly. It's a very good bird alien design. Hooray! So I still liked this episode better than a lot of original series. Yeah, I'd say so as well. Uh, you know, it's a uh, uh, sort of a, a a bit of heart to it, and uh, you know, some interesting stuff. You know, sure, the you know compressed format of the animated series does mean we can't really explore certain things very well. And, the whole it's like okay here's this random vulcan here and everyone's confused but that's okay yeah that's you know in a full episode like a full hour episode uh you could probably have like five ten minutes sort of spent on people getting used to this weird guy and kind of come to terms with the ethics of changing history now that it has been changed because like okay so if you go and change things back to how things were before spock does that mean the new commander uh, uh, uh thalen here guy is he going to be okay? Is he just going to be a commander on a different ship? Is he dead? Is there something else? I don't know. They don't know. But they do hand wave yeah. it because he goes, I might have a different life, but we are not prone to regret or something as a species. So it's yes. fine. It's like, yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> so uh, we got some characterization for Andorians. Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, time travel messing with my history, personal history. Yeah, that's what fine whenever. There's a couple of weird messages in this one. It's interesting to just look at. The main one seems to be, don't be sad when you have to euthanize your pets. Which is a little awkward, as I mentioned before. It's like, 
yeah, there's this is sort of the ethical thing to do in this situation, but it's okay to be sad, folks. Also, this uh, episode is a pretty good um, representation of the time travel bootstrap paradox. A bit, yes. Because Spock knows that he needs to go back in time and save himself because he saw himself from going back in time to save himself which is a weird circle and information about that he knows about himself going back in time could only be known because he went back in time. And once again, I'm, I'm, I'm losing the, the game here. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually um, am kind of uh, a fan of the bootstrap paradoxes uh, if they're done, uh, pulled off pretty well. And this one's done pretty well here, I'd say. Uh, you know, and the trying and sort of trying to uh, break out of it causes everything to go sort of we- uh, weird and things like that. Um, and so the situation where you get, you know, a cause that is after the effect is a little weird to sort of wrap your head around. Uh, but unless you, but if you, as someone who's studied time, uh, uh, space, like time curves, as much as I have, it does kind of make sense after a while. Well, the other thing that's interesting is speaking of bootstraps, this could be read as a very sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps individualist narrative. Because Spock has to realize that he can save himself. Uh, You know, it's like, okay, so, you know, young Spock here, you are, you know, being sort of put on this trial thing of sort of self-reliance. And older Spock, you are now also, you know, (laughs) being part of that self-reliance after a fashion. Uh, And so it all kind of combines together. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I can see it. Yeah. Part of the thing is basically him having to get help to survive. But... Because in what they've posited, him needing help would make him weak, or at least weak in the eyes of others, they kind of are able to get around it and have it both ways, because he needs help, but he's getting help from himself that he learned from himself. Because he taught himself how to do the Vulcan neck pinch, apparently. Yes. (laughs) At least in that uh, iteration of the timeline. (laughs) Which means that... The entire narrative can kind of be read as you need to be able to help yourself. It's also smatters a little bit of a whole, like, don't worry if your childhood is awful, it gets better sort of thing, which is not necessarily untrue, but it's still sort of don't change anything. Don't actually try to improve your circumstances at all. Like your dad's still an ass. Like everything's just going to turn out okay. Well, I I did. I uh, like that uh, Spock was like, yeah, Sarek, be less of an ass uh, here, uh, you know, to sort of try to, I guess, offer up some change there. But it's kind of a token effort compared to the rest. So I also never quite noticed before, because this is one of the first times that they've tried to do much with Vulcan philosophy, aside from some very vague hand wavy, like we're pacifists, but we'll still punch people. Uh we're very, very logical, which means we don't have emotions, but also in a weird, like, very spiritual way. Because it's a, it's a very weird, we want to have, like, space monks, but we're claiming it's logic because that sounds better than spirituality, even though they're very spiritual about their logic. Yes. And I didn't really realize before just how much the Vulcan philosophy just lines up with really toxic ideas about modern American masculinity. Yep. <laughs> you have to be stern and, you know, and strong and, you know, suppress your outward emotions so that you can always be that rock that everyone else around you was uh, able to rely on. 
And uh, that way you are able to command the world around you and everything will be good, right? See, everything is that. There's that as like the surface level of this thing. Their stated philosophy is very suppress your emotions. But mm -hmm. everything that they even showed as their history and culture is that. Because it's just this, yep. <laughs> this like weird like manly wet dream of the kids are all like dicks to each other to like weed out the weak and everyone's fine with this no one says that what the kids are doing is wrong because they're trying to goad each other into being emotional and the emotional outburst is the actual issue oh it's just a test of their their self-control so yeah we can allow them to be as awful to each other as possible in fact we should encourage it because that way our we'll be able to tell who is able to cope and who is not with our way of being things and that kind of sucks yeah because the kids are just like ripping into each other and the only thing that they say is wrong with this is that spock got emotional which happens a lot like how many times as a kid are you told to just ignore people who are picking on you <laughs> oh too often i remember a few times myself and then the the weird manliness test of going out and having to survive on your own this is something that people still say you should do like this is a thing in certain cultures there's a, there's like a a, like rite of passage ritual that everyone goes through but we don't have that in america really it's not really part of our cultural context but people keep trying to do stuff to claim that you're reclaiming this idea of like taking your kids out into nature or that's why you're dragging your kids on horrible camping trips or some such it's an idea that a lot of american masculinity stuff likes even though we don't actually have it as something in our own culture which gets it really muddled and can verge anywhere between like misguided attempts at bonding with your kid to like outright abusive it's sort of a we're doing this so that you could get this checkbox next to you and then i don't have to worry about you uh, my son not being manly enough uh, going forward and this will for sure solve all the problems that we might have as a father-son, uh, you know, inter, you know, relationship here. And that's all we have to do. But then nothing else we do is going to matter one way or the other. So I can continue to be a crappy dad in that case if I make sure that you go through this process. Yeah, there's a very... Congratulations, son. There's a very, very weird thing if you juxtapose, like, a culture that has a adulthood... Um, ceremony like that where everyone in the culture knows that that's what you do you're raised for it you go through it usually as a group with other people around the same age and you know that everyone in the culture has gone through it at some point it's sort of a unifying thing that you know everyone's gone through whereas since our culture doesn't have that same idea every family sort of winds up with their own individual one if they do it at all and it just gets everything kind of muddled and confused like you are a man now because i took you out and you killed a deer or you are a man now because i taught you how to box or you are a man now because you had a wild drinking party when you were 21 it's just very muddled and doesn't really have that same sort of everyone in the culture has gone through this and you just know that it becomes a very mishmashed idea and it just kind of confuses the masculine thing because masculinity itself is a very confused, non-coherent idea in our society with a lot of contradictory elements. And part of that is because we don't actually have a like, cultural history that's consistent around it. 
you know, there's a, uh, I, I guess in some ways the, these, you know, whatever the singular item that is being used for, for this in a particular family or, or even, uh, you know, potentially a, a town or region of the country uh, is going to be very much reflective of the values of those people that are, you know, you know, pushing uh, this to be a thing. Uh, and given the, I guess, complex flux of how our society is just kind of in general in the United States, uh, where there's a lot of, you know, very uh, you know, strong competing influences for, you know, what is the, you know, the ideal for our, uh, you know, people in our society, that's going, it kind of causes this weird, you know, that, that mishmash you mentioned there. And, uh, and so, you know, that, and it just makes things worse and more confusing over time because there's no sort of unified, uh, program here to say, no, this is just getting everything really awkward. And if we're going to do this, this should be the way to do it. But if we're, you know, otherwise we should just not do it and, you know, entirely, uh, cause it's probably just doing more harm than, than, than good here. And then there's sort of this last thing, which we've mentioned with Vulcan stuff before. It it doesn't show up as much in original series because you don't see as many Vulcans. It shows up a lot in uh, Next Generation and several times explicitly in DS9. Vulcans are just assholes. And <laughs> they definitely are being superior assholes to people around them. Oh, you should watch the Enterprise. It's 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 like assholes all the way down. And it's contradictory with their stated emotionless logical thing. But this is like this is this thing that you get away with, especially in our modern culture. It's it's this weird sort of I'm being emotionless and rational, and you are being upset, even though both of us are obviously angry. I am like yelling at you that I am being logical in an angry way, but because I'm claiming to be logical and emotionless and objective, I get to do whatever I want, including being a massive asshole. And you just have to put up with it because it's what we've said culturally we value. It's staking out a high ground that one does not have any actual claim to. And it's also just the idea and, that it wouldn't matter anyway. you can separate out your emotions and have an objective viewpoint. And that, that would inherently give you a moral high ground. But really, you know, the, the, the motivation for your, for, for these uh, positions being taken are very emotional and the reaction is very emotional and it's just, you're trying to frame it in a certain way. And well, no one's really buying it, but, but you're self-assured. So, uh, gosh darn it you're going to you know keep doing this and uh, everyone else is wrong not you well i think the general problem that we get into is a misunderstanding of logic itself as an idea because mm -hmm. logic is not this sort of antithesis of emotion the way that it's framed in a lot of things uh, logic is a framework of thinking about things that is common commonly agreed on amongst a set of people in society to make it easier to talk about certain ideas it's not a like it's not something that you do in inherently there's not a like emotional side of you and a logical side of you logic is something that you indeed learn as a way to talk about things with other people who are trying to work through things logically yeah it's, it's effectively a common language it's like okay so there's these these thought processes these ways to sort of compare uh, you know, different ideas and how they interact. 
And if we don't have that sort of common language sort of built up, then it's going to be basically impossible in order to communicate these ideas to each other in any sort of sane fashion. Yeah, it's kind of the same idea. It's the same idea that's a um, framework. It's a representational model. Like, if you take math, which everyone would agree is a very logical way of doing things because it's basically uh, a form of pure logical reasoning, mathematics. Math is just a representational framework that we're using to say things about the world. It happens to be a very malleable framework that we can use to represent a lot of things but it's not a representation it's not an accurate like measure of the world itself it's an abstract representation of the world and you can't use that to necessarily do a one-to-one and thinking that you can runs into all kinds of problems uh like, you know, you have this common thing is like, well, of course, like one plus one equals two. And that's just logically proven. But it's logically proven within a set of rules that everyone's agreed on to make one plus one equal two mathematically. And those rules maintain consistency across all of mathematics, but only because we all agreed that they should in order to make the whole representational model function. Indeed. And if you are in a situation where you want to that not to be true, you have to be pretty much very explicit. Otherwise, everyone's just going to con- get confused by you. Yeah, I remember I remember years ago I was in a like symbolic logic class, which is just it's a way of representing logic with uh, logical concepts with like semi mathematical symbols and letters instead of actual like language. It's kind of a precursor thing to learning it. Um, for people who haven't also taken symbolic logic. I've not taken symbolic logic myself, um, but, uh, you know, this is the, this is all the stuff with like the use and the weird, you know, sort of things comparing it's like, you know, this is like an or sort of symbol, mm-hmm. right? And one of the things that, that I remember a lot of people were getting hung up on it. I always remembered this because we're so bad at explaining to people how logic and philosophy function. You had word problems that give you something like if this is true, then these things and then you'd have to like basically translate the word problem into symbolic logic and run through your like tables of what makes it true or not true. And anytime something in the statement was contradictory to how the world was, a lot of people got confused by it. Like they'd have a thing like if grass is purple, then the sun is green. And like everyone would be like, but neither of those things is true. And also they would have nothing to do with each other. But that's not the point. We just stated for the purposes of this logical experiment that these two things are true and relational. Yeah. And when you're sort of building a, uh, an example like that, you know, the attachment to the real world doesn't necessarily have to be a thing. But the, the underlying, you know, but the other underlying rules that you're, you're using for the problem, that needs to be well understood already. Yeah. Which is something that people keep messing up with in logical reasoning and especially something like philosophy philosophy is a purely logical way of looking at concepts it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the world as it functions you can say Mm -hmm. something like the you know hobbesian idea of nature which is explicitly untrue if you look at it anthropologically but Mm -hmm. You can say, well, according to a Hobbesian viewpoint, everything in nature 
was like fine and then this other thing happened in society and something changed but like it doesn't matter if that's historically accurate it's just the way that you're using to go through this thought process logically you're starting from a point that you're stating is the starting point and moving on from there whether or not the starting point is actually historically true yeah, yeah, i also yeah, think i mixed up hobbesian and calvian in there so you know ignore me <laughs> oh we get the gen- general gist you're going for there uh I guess that's also kind of when it comes to having arguments or discussions with people, things like that, the uh, mis- not understanding those base assumptions with other folks can cause a lot of problems. Because uh, if someone is very much of a, a framework where these are their su- assumed things to be true, and you come from a world where that's not the case, uh, that could be a situation where you try to come to a, a terms on, on something important where that's relevant where suddenly you're like, okay, so we're not able to communicate anymore because we haven't stated our initial assumptions about the situation. Which has always been a little bit of my problem with the way that they represent Vulcan logic in these shows. Uh, Because they never state what their core starting points are for their logical reasoning. Because you always need something. Like, even if it's... Even if it seems somewhat obvious, you need something. You say, like, well, logically, we should take this course of action because it saves more people than the other course of action. But at some point, you had to decide that saving the maximum number of people was the outcome you were trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. But since that's never stated, they just come out with literally anything. And depending (laughs) on, as we've just said, you can start logic from literally any anywhere as your basis, which means you can logically prove anything you want. Just kind of comes down to where you start, yeah. So, where are these guys starting? Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's what all the uh, sort of semi-religious uh, stuff they don't talk too much about is uh, supposed to set up, but you don't really get any good details We that. don't. And why did they do this religion? <laughs> like, having it as spirituality is interesting, but spirituality is very non-objective and emotional. Mm-hmm. spirituality itself is a very emotion-based thing at least for humans it's actually baked into your to your brain as far as we can tell like this whatever this experience is that we call spiritual or religious like we can we can artificially um, induce it with hallucinogens this experiment's been done many times mm-hmm. well you know, maybe there's something to be said that though about the, these folks are you know aliens even though they look mostly human uh so maybe they operate a different way but still if you're going at this looking for messages from the show being more explicit that these folks very much have a different way of their you know their 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 fundamental brain uh functions work differently than humans does need to be a little bit more explicit especially when you're sort of running into some of these situations like in this episode yeah well the i wouldn't have any sort of issue with them saying that the thing that they're doing with a lot of the times with Vulcan stuff is trying to use the Vulcan system metaphorically as an antithesis to the human way of doing things, which is always framed as incredibly emotion driven, which is always interesting being that most of the time they show that the human way of doing stuff usually leads to the same outcome or conclusion. Well, here's maybe a thought 
maybe to Vulcans, their instinct is that sort of basic uh, common language of, uh, you know, starting place of their logic system for the most part. And they don't understand that the instincts of other folks are just kind of radically different. And they're like, okay, so these are the things that we instinctively know are true. And that's where we base all of our, our, our thought processes from. While other, you know, know, these alien creatures are like, oh, they just kind of get a feeling and then just kind of go with it. What? (laughs) Well, what's interesting is that maybe there's something there. That's the basic of basis of all of our logical thinking as humans. You have to start Mm -hmm. somewhere, and if you're just trying to be objective, which I've seen people do in arguments, they try to be objective, but you're still starting from your own personal biases, which are usually emotional, like. Almost entirely emotional because we tend to be emotional beings. Now, the thing that they, the weird thing that they keep talking about in these episodes is the Vulcan serenity, which is very monk-like. It's got sort of a Buddhist or Taoist flavor to it in the way that they represent it with the meditation and uh, there's a lot of kind of Eastern influence in, especially later, but even in this sort of thing with the way that they talk about Vulcan serenity and spirituality. But yes. while I'm not claiming to be an expert in any way, the bit of that kind of philosophy that I have engaged with is explicitly emotional. It's not about controlling or suppressing or trying to not have emotions in order to achieve serenity or enlightenment it's about accepting the emotions that you do have and not fighting against them so much now uh you you that that fight against your own emotions can be a a very difficult thing and that can tire you out and just make you more anxious yeah usually does but i think it's weird it's i've said this before and i I don't know if this was something that was popping up in the 60s and 70s yet, um, possibly, but the Vulcan philosophy is a very corporate America take on Eastern and New Age spirituality. A bit, yeah. (laughs) It's the CEO who meditates for an hour a day because it lets him be unemotional and more productive at work. In big quotation marks. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) well it lets him claim that he's unemotional because he meditates and he's making objective decisions well this kind of gets back to the uh, the the rite of passage sort of stuff that these are are things that are being sort of claimed to that don't necessarily mean anything other than what you can convince people that you're you know that they do mean something here uh that you know perhaps uh, Vulcan logic is just a big scam that like everyone just kind of in on it and everyone's just fine with it. Well, yeah, they explicitly stated that the rite of passage was kept because they decided that if they didn't keep some of their old warrior pr- traditions, they would become weak as a species. I guess that kind of explains that then. <laughs> Which again, why did they decide that being strong as a species was so desirable? Good question, Sarek. Are you going to give us an answer to this? No? Okay. Just that there is strength is a good thing. Just is that part of their initial premises or I don't know. Then, of course, you get to, well, 
end on this because I could go on about this all all day. But you get to the final thing, which is the Sarek himself acts as trying to be the most Vulcan he can because he's ashamed of his kid and mm -hmm. basically instilling in Spock the idea that perfection is the only acceptable outcome. So uh, kind of high standards there, you know? Which is something that I hear a lot of people doing. This is something that I kind of hate when this, this idea that I've heard echoed so many times and I was raised with that you shouldn't reward a kid or praise a kid for coming home with good grades because that's just what they're supposed to be doing and you shouldn't reward someone for doing the thing they're supposed to do so no encouragement to keep doing well yep only shame and pain if you uh manage to stumble so all stick no carry yeah though that's well, i don't know it's very complicated and uh I don't have time to get into the uh, reward and punishment being the same thing right now. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, we we have pre had previously on uh, the Omega Geek, uh, and they're uh, you know they're, that's that's sort of their wheelhouse here. And but also uh, the you know, the other th you know, thing I wanted to sort of touch upon is something that they've done a, a video about, um, uh, uh, sort of explicitly, but from a different uh, sort of kids show sort of thing. Mm. Encountering death. Ah, yes. Dun dun dun. Because <laughs> uh, you know, sort of the climax of this is Ichaya or Ich Ichaya, uh, how you pronounce it, uh, dying, and you know, young Spock having to sort of you know come to terms with that. Even if there's maybe some questionableness about how he's doing that or how he's being encouraged to do it, you know, it's still sort of a this is something that you know this kid has to face. And it might be, dip, you know, different than how it is going to be for, you know, you human children here. But it is something that you should be sort of aware about uh, and, you know, able to sort of, uh, you know, uh, you know, understand that this is a thing in the world. And it is kind of a brave thing for that to have been in, a, uh, you know, the show here. In fact, like there's a TV execs that are like, now you need to take this out. And DC Fontana was like, no, it's, this is important. We're keeping this in. Uh, and eventually got our way on that. And yeah. Uh, I kind of appreciate that that he, uh, we're able to put their you know you know stick limb out you know get on the limb there. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous that they would say you're not allowed to show a kid dealing with the death of a pet on television. Yeah, <laughs> it's like kids have pets. Some of them die, and you know, having uh, you know something that they can sort of watch on TV and be like, oh, so this. Is something that, you know, if their you know, pet's still alive, it's like maybe this is something I need to sort of prepare myself for at some point. Or if their pet has recently died or, is, uh, you know, or they've not been able to sort of deal with it properly, so, you know, sort of seeing this be on on, uh, on TV like this, like, oh, this is an experience that I'm not alone in. And thus I should not feel weird about maybe trying to understand that or, you know, I should not, I should not try to deny that this is a thing that happened. I should be a little bit more honest with myself. Uh, like young Spock is here, even though his philosophy is a little weird. Uh, and this uh, does remind me of that one bit from uh, Sesame Street uh, in the, uh, the the 80s, where uh, one of the older actors, uh, I believe, uh, died. And they sort of had a, uh, I think it was like right around uh, Thanksgiving, uh, uh, a, a segment where Big Bird's like, so where does this, where's the one guy? He's like, well, he's, he's not able to come. He, he died. And Big Bird's just can't quite grasp it for a bit. Until it sort of, you know, hits home. It's like, oh, oh, this is what death actually means. 
And, you know, things like that I really appreciate because it doesn't treat children like fools. It treats children as people that are, you know, are learning about this stuff in the in the world here. And, the, you know, this is, you know, uh, you know a program that is geared in any fashion to that uh, towards children should be able to ha- sort of help them, you know, understand these concepts better. And so big thumbs up there. And I agree with that. And the principle of this, I wish that they hadn't fitted in with the weird don't be sad about it philosophy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess my thumbs up is more towards the Sesame Street <laughs> direction than it is here, but... <laughs> Well, I don't, that's weird. I don't disagree with everything that they even said in the thing, because it's, uh, you know, not a bad idea to say that you shouldn't be overly sad about someone dying or a pet dying when their life wasn't wasted. It's not a bad sentiment. Mm -hmm. But then just the idea generally of, I don't know, turn your emotions off. That means that you shouldn't mourn or grieve. Yeah, don't much care for that. Graving's all right, folks. Go ahead and do it. But that's kind of all I had. So, <laughs> as me. <laughs> so I think that we've able we've been able to take a basically nothing episode that was supposed to just be a weird time travel thing and turn it into a half hour discussion on toxic masculinity. Yes, and death. So that probably <laughs> means that it's time for the galaxy's favorite game show. Woo! Hey everybody, welcome back to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show, where we're still quite animated here. Uh, this is little, kind of freaking me out here. I look at my hands and there's like dr- lines drawn around my fingers. It's all sorts of weird. How about you, Geppin? Are you as animated as You're I am? You're not cell shaded? I'm getting cell shaded. Oh, oh, hmm. Well, uh, I guess maybe I can ask for an upgrade. But anywho, uh, we got uh, a few winners this week. Uh, surprises to hand out. They've uh, racked up enough points to get some... Uh, some solid victories here. So the the first prize we're going to be giving out is the Evil Twin Prize, which goes to Young Spock for being all about trying to, you know, neck pinch his peers. And, you know, future Spock's not so much about that. What does Young Spock win, Gepwin? Young Spock wins a full scholarship to whatever Vulcan school thing, because he learned about being a young Vulcan really well compared to all his other peers. So he should get a full ride now. Huzzah! Go and pick on other children, young Spock! Ho-ho! Our second prize is the What Prime Directive Prize for Kirk, Spock, and the rest of the historian team for going back in time to just kind of hang out with pre-warp civilizations and stuff, probably. Possibly irrevocably uh, changing their presence and breaking the Prime Directive while doing it, even though in the present they might have war capability. What do they win, Gepwin? They win time travel shenanigans of galore. They have so many episodes with this. I think they even have more <laughs> in this one. I'm like, this is just what they do. Like, this should be the entire show is going back in time and messing up something and going back in time again to fix it. I don't know if there's a show that does that, but it seems like it should be just like perpetually trying to fix time travel, like a comedy driven, like butterfly effects show. <laughs> That would be pretty awesome. Uh, I do remember there was like some sort of like time cop sort of show here 
I don't know if it was actually time cop, but uh, you know the, the, that happened several times where it's like, okay, we got to go back in time, and oh no, we've changed the future again. Um, hmm. Well, about that. <laughs> but um, our final prize for today is the final dignity prize, which goes to Aichaya for getting this, and Bravo for DC Fontana and the showrunners for treating subject matter and the audience with a little respect here. What do they win, Gepwin? Aichaya wins honorary dog because all dogs go to heaven. Woof woof. Heck yeah. So, Achaya, I hope you're going to be uh, looking down on uh, young and old Spock with a big smile on your face. Also, uh, I have some questions about if the Vulcans are like vegetarians, what do you eat? But if you're dead, does it matter? Okay, I'm fridge logicing here again, Gep would save me. <laughs> Alright, thank you all for coming and joining us here on this week's Galaxy's Favorite Game Show. <laughs> Got the name of my own segment for a second there. <laughs> <laughs> It happens. Don't worry about it. All right, next week sounds straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Sort of like it's right there at the t- title yep. kind of well, thing. One of our planets is missing. Whoops. <laughs> which, I, which I swear was... Isn't that also like one of the Doctor Who finales? Yeah, the uh, I was actually going to say, it's like, did the, the Daleks steal this one as well? Uh, are they... Only Medusa Cascade or whatever the heck it was, and uh, plotting to you know annihilate the universe every, uh, everywhere else except where they're at. And are we gonna have to worry about that right now, or is this something else? Maybe. Cons- oh, a giant cloud consumes planets in its path. Okay, that's that's more like a doomsday weapon, but cloud formed. Oh, Robert Wesley, huh? Starfleet officer Robert Wesley. <laughs> Wonder if there's any relation. Hmm. Robert Wesley. Robert of Wesley. Now I'm just curious. Is this supposed to be like one of Wesley Crusher's ancestors? Is this where they got this from? I don't know. <laughs> oh, wait. he's. Oh, he was in... Uh... He was in original series as a real person. I forgot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's... Uh... There's just so many random Commodores here. It's, get, it's easy to get yeah, them confused. Commodore <laughs> Wesley commanded the USS Lexington. Okay. Was among the battle group from the M5 War Games. Yes, when they had yes. the, the super ultimate computer. computer. Huh. Returned. Doesn't seem. Now voiced by James Duhat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the name's just similar. It would be a like last name first name issue but i wonder if that's who wesley crusher's named after hmm, potentially no information but, uh, but it could be a fun tribute you know beverly crusher also has some weird naming issues but the less we talk about sub rosa for now probably the better <laughs> <laughs> okay so next week we've got one of our planets is missing which i don't i don't know much about it sounds like it's going to be more of the same though big energy clouds mind meld <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm I'm getting that uh, the immunity syndrome sort of feel here. Yeah, let's see. It looks like they just get it to go away. That's hmm. fun. 
No antimatter explosions. Yeah, looks like they just talk to it and it leaves. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't know these were your planets. Yeah, interesting. Oh. The book Trek so, Navigator so. calls this one of the best shows the animated Star Trek spinoffs has to offer. Oh, so I guess uh, that 6.6 out of 10 rating here on IMDb is probably uh, either a, a good sign or a bad well, sign. Well, it's a bad sign if it's accurate, because that means that the best that this show has to offer is a 6 out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> which judging from what i've seen so far i would believe well i, I did like yesteryear um but uh we'll see how this next one holds yeah up i think that we can uh wait and see what's going on so join us next week to see what is happening with missing planets on watchers of tomorrow next time on watchers of tomorrow we lose planet uh-oh have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more, and where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Maury's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>